everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Kat. Hey, everyone. How are you? Here we are. You know, this is um, season 10, episode two. Yeah. And we are interviewing our guest, J.P. Pennington, today for the second time. That's true. We are. Yeah. He was on uh, quite a while back, I think. Um yeah, um, you know, it's just amazing to me, like, how meticulously we plan these episodes. Yes. Second time <laughs> on, second episode of the season. Yeah, and yeah. That was... One of us is a creative genius. Yes, I wonder who that is. Well, I'm really excited to, you know, we've had a few people that we've had as a guest a couple of times. And I always find it interesting because, you know, you can, like, people just have such fascinating stories. And the second time you interview them, you learn, like, you know, all kinds of new things you didn't get the first time. That is true, yeah. Um, you know, usually they're on for different different reasons, and uh, um, we have had that happen for sure. Yeah, uh, you know, I think we've had maybe a couple people, three times even, but uh, two is, you know, is a rarity. You know, we don't often get to talk to someone again. So, I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure. And this is their 60th anniversary. 60 years. Yeah, I mean, I haven't done anything except breathe for 60 years (laughs) well i haven't been here 60 years yet but um you know uh 60 years is amazing to uh, first of all to have a career for 60 years um you know i can't imagine teaching for 60 years which was my first career um but being in a you know even being in something that you love, 60 years is a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, excuse me, no matter uh, how you slice it, it definitely is. And, um, you know, also, 60 years with the same people is a lot of years. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. Um, You know, I've, I've heard of people being married for 60 years, and you know, I can't imagine how that happens, but uh, it's probably uh, very that, similar. That, that is different. That is like the sweetest thing ever when people can, you know, stay married for 60 years. Well, I mean, I imagine being in a band for 60 years has to be sort of similar. I mean. I'm sure it's give and take. It maybe be more like a plural marriage, you know, like. A, yeah, because you have four or five people in the band. Right. And, yeah. Um, and I mean, 
so you and I don't have very many disagreements about working together. Um, you know, we generally are on the same page about guests and things like that. Um, yeah. But can you imagine if we threw like, you know, three more people into the decision making process? Uh, no, 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 thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a band. That's a, I guess that's why a lot of them break up, you know, because personalities are, it's really hard to find personalities that you click with and are on the same page with. Yeah, usually it's like creative differences or something like that. Yeah, or one person, you know, um, wants to go out on their own, like be True. a solo. Yeah. Which would be like somebody wanting to get divorced, I guess, and be single again you know to go back to your analogy there you go but i mean so this is something i can relate to is uh kiss you all over that song but it's 45 years ago that's 45 years since it came out yes wow i mean now that is shocking to me because it does not at all seem like that long does it? Yeah, I don't know. To me, it does because I remember hearing it when it came out, and uh, I was pretty young then. Yeah, you 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 know, he would have to be in <laughs> forty-five <laughs> years, though. I mean, people still know this song. People still, it's still a a very popular song. Um, sure. And so another thing I I liked the first time about JP is he's very down to earth and easy to interview. It's just like, it's like talking to someone you've known for a long time. You know, he's just very comfortable. Yeah. I, I feel like and is the way that I felt. It was, a, a, you know, just a very easy um, interview. You know, I was thinking about this earlier and I'm not sure if there's any connection, but I mean, his last name is Pennington and you had the, uh, play the reveal at the Pennington? I mean, I wonder yes. if there's some connection there. Well, I'm going to tell you one more, too. When we're going to Harlan to do our show, um, the uh, tourism director there is also named Pennington, Brandon Pennington. Hmm. So uh, there has been, like, a strange amount of Penningtons crossing my path recently. There you go. It's the, uh, I forget what they call it when, you know, like, if you buy a, like, an example would be you buy a car and then you instantly notice, like, the same car on the road all the time. Passing yes. You. Yeah. You know, I really don't think, though, that I cross paths with that many Penningtons um, before. Well, apparently you have, because there's like three of them now, or three. I know. <laughs> so. so, I mean, who knows where it's going to end? Like, I might have a whole place about the Penningtons. There you go. In fact, that's a very, uh, <clears throat> you know, royal-sounding name there, so uh, I'd like to use that sometime. There you go. I'm sure JP won't mind. No. Well, it'd be an honor, of course, to be in, you know, unless you're the one that gets killed off. But That's true. <laughs> even then, you can die with honor, right? Uh, yeah, that is true. Yeah. 
Maybe you can. And, and you know, you have survived. Like I never killed you off yet in any of the things that I've written. <laughs> Not yet. So you know, you couldn't always give some tips to the Penningtons. <laughs> I could, yeah. How to survive my. Well, I mean, you could do like a historical drama kind of thing, and yeah. Well, this Halloween story we got coming up is kind of like it's got a little historical element to it, but you know they're already named, um, but we didn't really give them a last name, so you're talking. It could be you're talking about your Halloween play that's coming up. Yes, yes, for the mystery meet. Uh, so, have you have you given it a name yet? Um, <laughs> so we're, we're still calling it that Halloween reveal right now. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe let's make a deal. Uh, so we got, a, you know, still a few titles, but the script is finished. Um, it's just a matter of what we're going to end up calling it. That's, you know, the best for promotion, really. Okay. Um, but back to Exile, you know, this is the band, of course, and, they're Kentucky, Kentucky-based, so I love that about them. Yeah. And actually, you know, the last time we interviewed JP, you were in Kentucky, and um, he talked about, like, places close to where you lived at that time. That's right, he did, yeah. Not far away. A couple miles, yeah. actually. Yeah, so, you know, they were, like, playing in Richmond and playing in high school, playing in parks and... Yeah. You know, all of that. So uh, I remember I remember that from the last interview. And, of course, a lot has changed for us. And also, you know, we're going to find out what has changed for JP in exile. But, man, 60 years. That's, uh, I can't wait to hear the story. And their new album is out. It came out, actually, uh, on Friday. And they have a new... uh, million miles later is the title. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and then they have a new single out. Yeah, rough around the edges. So, hmm. um, you know, I, I feel like those are both inspired. Like, you know, it'd be something that you wouldn't necessarily write at the beginning of your career. So I, I feel like they're a reflection. Uh, I guess we'll find that out if that's true. But that's my guess. Alrighty, well, I guess we can talk to JP and find out what's going on. Alright. Well, JP Pennington, welcome back to Backstory Session. Good to be back, Kathy. How are you guys? We're doing well, and uh, not as well as you are, though, because... You've got a new album coming out this uh, on the 25th, and a new single's going to be released from that, and this is the 60th anniversary of Exile, so congratulations on all of that. Well, thank you. Uh, we, we appreciate it. You know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot going on at the moment. Uh, the album, you know, like you said, it's Friday. Uh, the single was actually released uh about three weeks ago, I guess, and it, it seems to be doing well, and and uh, so, you know, everything is just up and running, and we're we're hoping to see the the fruits of our labor here pretty soon. Well, the album is titled "A Million Miles Later," so um, 
I guess the first thing, has it really been a million miles or did anybody like calculate that? Well, you know, we, we, we talked about that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the title, it's the title song of the album, you know, as well as the album, which is the album title, but, um, a million miles would not even come close to how far we've gone up and down the road, but as far as using it as a song title and singing it, it just sounded better. You know, I mean, we, we could have called it 10 million miles later, but it just didn't roll off the tongue as well. <laughs> the song is the song is actually uh, is actually a tribute to our fans. Uh, it, it, it on the surface, the lyrics sound like a you know a one-on-one relationship but it's actually uh it's actually an ode to uh to uh all the fans that we've had over the years and the fans that have stuck to us so i thought it was time that we thank them for for being such great fans and and making making it possible to keep us working Well, that's an amazing tribute to fans, Um, so it's really cool to hear that's like the motivation behind it. Um, So in the Million Miles, uh, Exiles had, I think, 11 number one songs and three gold albums and over 8 million records. So uh, which of those statistics are you the most proud of? Which, which of the uh, accomplishments, you mean? Yeah, like, so, uh, you know, number one songs or gold albums or uh, 8 million records, over 8 million. Well, uh, you know, personally, uh, you know, you might get a different answer from each individual guy in the band, but for, for me, I guess it's... Uh, I guess it's the, the acceptance of so many of songs that I've uh, written or co-written, you know, that we've had success with. That, uh, that's that's strictly a you know a personal satisfaction. Uh, as far as the group goes, I mean, I, I think just the fact that we managed to stay together this long, I think it I think it says something for how we've learned to get along and learn to bend with each other over the years. And, uh, it's not easy being in a band. It, it's, it's, it's pretty hard, but I, I think, uh, I think we've gotten lucky that we have five personalities that, uh, have to have, uh, a lot of respect for each other. And, and I think the, the accomplishment of being together 60 years uh, says a lot for that. Um, well, let's go back to 1963 when it was all beginning. Uh, kind of give us a little overview of you know how the band got together and um, how did you know that you wanted to make a band and pursue this career? Well, um, we were all in high school at the time. Uh, I was 14, 
and the rest of the guys were a little older than me, some maybe more than a little, four or five years, you know, which at that age, four or five year, a four or five year gap can, you know, pretty, pretty significant, but um, I remember uh, I was mowing our grass one morning, and uh, Jimmy Stokely and, and Billy Luxon pulled up in my driveway, and uh, you know, they walked up. I cut the mower off. I didn't. I knew who Jimmy was. I never met him, but I didn't know Billy. But uh, they said, "How would you like to be in a band?" What band? <laughs> and uh, I said, "Well, we we're just trying to put it together." You know, we don't we don't have a name yet or anything like that. We're just trying to, to put together a few guys and uh, go out and play a few local gigs and see if we can make a little bit of make a little bit of money and meet some girls. You know, but, <laughs> you know either we. We didn't accomplish either one of those. <laughs> but, uh, but I said, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd like to try it out, you know. Uh, and they had two or three other guys lined up. Uh, uh, and we, uh, I remember my my dad driving me uh, over to the rehearsal. This is way before he had a driver's license. Too young, you know. But, but he drove me over to Richmond and Dropped me off at this house, and they wanted me to play bass. I didn't have a, an electric bass, but somebody had borrowed one. I'd never even played one before. But, uh, I was fairly proficient at guitars, and they're, you know, they're, they're similar. So uh, I just went about the first rehearsal kind of by the seat of my pants, and, and they they liked me okay, and. We had, uh, I think, about six members to begin with, um, all high school, all high school guys, and uh, and we started getting some little sock hops and parties at the park, parties at school, and and, uh, and started making kind of a local for ourselves uh, staying around the Richmond, Kentucky area. And, uh, and you know, it, it just sort of stuck. We started having fun. We started having people show up. We started having people calling us to, uh, you know, to come play at their event, whatever it might be. And um, it just sort of took you know, we were we were a band. Didn't you say at one of your at one of your first gigs that a fight broke out or something? I thought I remember that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were playing at the uh, city park in Richmond. Mm-hmm. Get the name of that little park, but uh, yeah, we were we were playing along there. Things were going well, and a fist fight broke out in front of us. <laughs> 
<laughs> kind of brought, brought the whole thing to a screeching halt. <laughs> Our singer, wanted, he wanted to get involved in it, but we wouldn't let him. <laughs> but uh, but that, was, that was a pretty common occurrence. You know, any time uh, there was uh, a gathering of young kids, it, seemed to, yeah. it always seemed like at least two of them get into it. You know, it was kind of... Yeah. Part of the whole entertainment of the thing, uh, but uh, yeah, that was uh, pretty <laughs> That's funny. Well, did you then have an idea that this was going to go someplace? Um, you know, after you started getting recognized locally and getting more gigs, um, could you tell that you were a little? different um than you know maybe other bands well the one thing that that happened that i think really helped us turn a corner was uh we were playing at a bar in richmond this was like 1960 maybe and uh, one of Dick Clark's agents, lady, she was from Cynthia, she happened to be home on Christmas break. And she ended up, just by happen, happenstance, uh, showing up where we were playing. And she liked the band, and she approached us afterwards and said, we're looking for a band to open the shows for one of our Dick Clark tours. It was called the Dick Clark Caravan of Stars. Hmm. And uh, she said, your job would be, it was some funny, arbitrary thing, like your job would be to do like 12 minutes to open the show, and then you would do your, you know, three songs or whatever it was, and the single acts on the package show would come out one after the other, and you would be their backing band. Hmm. And they were singers who had, you know, hits of the day, like Freddie Cannon and Tommy Rowe and B.J. Thomas and people like that. And uh, and she asked us if we'd be interested in doing that. And then, like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, we could... We could actually escape town and get out on a bus and, you know, and live the glamorous road life like we always <laughs> dreamed. But uh, we did that first tour, and it went, it went really well, and they hired us for two more after that over the next couple of years. And that was our first taste of playing for really big, big crowds. Um you know, there, there was us, the single acts, and then there was also a headliner. And uh, for two of the tours, the headliner was um, Paul Revere and the Raiders. Mm. They were a huge act at the time. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, we, I mean, that, that really, really showed us that, that, you know, that we were good enough to keep up. They kept asking us back, so that told us something. That that kind of started us being able to think a little bit bigger, you know, instead of yeah. just thinking about 
county are we going to play in next weekend? You know? so, <laughs> so we went up, we went all over the United States with uh, with those tours. We from east to west and north to south. It was really really a great experience for us. We were so young, you know. And yeah, you couldn't have been talk. you couldn't have been more than seventeen, eighteen at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. It was great. Pretty good job so, uh, right out of high school. <laughs> <laughs> Were you um, fans as well, like of the headliners? Like, did you get to meet some people that you also loved as musicians? Oh, yeah, we met a lot of people. You know, we got to know the Raiders. They were great. BJ, Freddie, and all those guys. And then, I mean, even, even over... You know, the rest of our careers. Yeah. Mm. We're still meeting people that we admire. Right. You know. Well, but, so then, how do you um, get to um, kiss you all over? So you're touring, and you do that tour for a few years, and how do you end up with this song? We were working with a producer out of uh, L.A. His name was Mike Chapman. And we had been working with him for a couple of years, and he he just had faith in us. He found us um, on a stack of reel-to-reel tapes that he had on his desk. Some wow. management-type person of ours had managed to find who he was, and we didn't know anything about him, but... But he, uh, his background was uh, this immense amount of success in, in Europe, a lot of European acts. And, uh, and he wanted to move to the United States because he wanted to break into this market, which was so much bigger you know, than, than the European market. Mm-hmm. So he moved to L.A., and, uh, and our tape ended up on his desk. And he played it out of a stack, and he liked us, and... Long story short, he came to he to see us in uh, Lexington. We were playing at the opening of an apartment complex, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he came and he liked us, and he started writing songs for us. And he found us a couple of small record deals, you know, with some labels, and we weren't having any success at first with that. It went on. We kept hearing. Hearing no, you know, no, 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 yeah. don't like you, you know, <laughs> go somewhere else. And, and then finally, when we were at about the end of our rope or the end of our run with Mike, uh, he came, he wanted to come to Lexington where we all live at the time. And he said, I think I've got this song that me and my partner have written. And I, I think it's a hit record. Um, and I said, well, what is it? I said, well, I just want to, I just want to come there and I want to play it for you. And I want all the guys to be, you know, in the room. Hmm. So he comes to Lexington and he he brings his guitar with him and he he borrowed my amp and he had this little this cheap little beatbox thing with him. Uh, 
So we had it programmed to a little funky little groove, and, and uh, he plugged it into one side of the amp, plugged his guitar into the other, and he just sang this song for us, and it was called I Want to Kiss You All Over. And we, I mean, we had heard no so much, you know, with Mike and with different pretty significant labels. Yeah. That we didn't, you know, we, we were we were kind of shell shocked from the whole thing, and we didn't we didn't think much about the song that, other than the fact that it sounded controversial, you know. I mean, yeah. In those days, you you just didn't say I want to kiss you all over on the radio. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but um, we agreed to record it, and he funded a recording session to do that song. And one more um, at a studio up in northern Kentucky. So we cut tissue all over, just like it ended up appearing on the record. And we cut a, uh, another song, can't think of what it was, but it also ended up on the album. But he took these two songs and started shopping them around in LA to, to record labels. Mm-hmm. And one of the first places he went was. Uh, to Mike Curb. Mike Curb had a record label, and he was, he also happened to be Lieutenant Governor of California at hmm. the time, you know, which only in California, right? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, Mike loved the song. He liked it, uh, Mike Curb. Loved the song so much that he said, I want to sign them. And I want to sign them to a three-album, three-year deal. And this was just on the strength of how he felt, of how strongly he felt about Kiss You All Over. Mm. I mean, it's hard to to go in and play one song for a person. They sign you to a album deal. Yeah. But but Curb, he heard it, you know, he, he, he felt sure of it. And he was right. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't just a few months later, you know, after we'd gone back to Kentucky and finished the album, that uh, the song entered the charts and it just shot to number one. I mean, it was like a rocket. It, it went up the charts so fast. How did and, that feel? After you all had had so much rejection and then all of a sudden you've got a number one song well we were beside ourselves you know we didn't know we didn't really know how to act we you know we'd, we'd never experienced any uh, any success on a national level yeah but the, you know we I mean we were we were just we were just so excited I mean beside ourselves. It's unreal. And then the money started rolling in. <laughs> it did. Yeah, it did. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we were, we were, you know, we were finally able to uh, pay the rent on time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and uh, make a car payment, you know, without any working anymore, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a great feeling. Hmm. 
one that, you know, we had subsequent number one records, a lot of them in country music, but uh, we, we never, we never really felt like that. You know, that initial shock, you know, it was, it was just really something else. That's awesome. Do you remember when you first heard it on the radio? Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, we were in a, well, on a big radio station. First time I heard it was when we were booked uh, to do uh, the Midnight Special yeah. L.A. And, and uh, our record label had a limo to pick us up at the airport. And... Uh, which was another thing we'd never experienced before. <laughs> you know, we we really thought we were really something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but uh, you know, there was a radio in the you know the back apartment where we were sitting. Somebody flipped, and it just happened to be, and kiss you all over came on. Then we just, I mean, we just went nuts. <laughs> just about fell out of the car. <laughs> That was a great experience. I had heard it on uh, our local radio station in Richmond before that uh, because I knew the DJ, and he said, I'm going to play this record, and I'm going to tell you what time I'm going to play it, so get in your car and yeah. drive around and do whatever you need to do because I'm going to play it. So, hmm. Actually, it was Lexington. It was Lexington, Kentucky, uh, but... Uh, but on, on a on a you know a grand scale, uh, the whole limo thing was the first time. Uh, wow. Yeah. So I hear that um, when you all were rehearsing this song, that you were at uh, Aunt Frankie's in Waco, Kentucky. Aunt Frankie's? How in the world did you hear about Aunt Frankie? <laughs> I did my research, and I thought that was pretty interesting to have Aunt Frankie. Sure did, yeah. Yeah, the, the producer I mentioned before, Mike Chapman, uh, he always liked to rehearse the songs out, you know, before we go and record them so we'd be really prepared and not have to waste a whole lot of studio time, you know, experimenting. But, yeah, we uh, we used to rehearse out at uh, our keyboard player's uh, Aunt Frankie's. It was uh, it used to be a gas station, but it was next to her house, and she bought it and turned it into her personal garage where she parked her car. You know, and it had a little bit of heat in there. So <laughs> heat, heat. So just to keep, you know, keep the chill off, just enough to keep the chill off. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, we rehearsed a lot at Aunt Frankie's. <laughs> she had this black Cadillac, and uh, but she would come home from somewhere, we, we could see her coming, we'd been there rehearsing, and we always lifted this huge bay door up, you know, like the gas stations had. That door must have weighed 10,000 pounds, you know. <laughs> but uh, we pulled the door up from her one day, and she got about halfway pulled in, and, and uh, somebody quit minding the door, and it, it, it dropped on top of the car. <laughs> Oh, no. I messed the roof up pretty bad. But she just laughed. She laughed. 
Wow. Well, uh, Aunt Frankie sounds like uh, worthy of a shout out. That's a pretty cool person that would just laugh when you do that. Yeah, she was. Uh, she put up a lot uh, with us over there, playing all loud and everything. And I mean, the, between the walls of that garage and the walls of her house, there was nothing that could stop that. You hmm. know, but she never said a word, and we never saw her except when she pulled out, pulled in. You know, hmm. she just and Frankie. Wow. Well, I, I find it interesting that one of the um, bands that you were touring with, like in the kind of the rock or pop phase, was Aerosmith, um, yeah. which I love also. But, um, you know, I hear like there was a moonshine story connected with them. Yes, there was. Uh, we, uh, we got booked to do like a... 15 city tour or something like that and uh, I guess it was in the winter the winter of 78 and uh, we were getting ready to do a show one night we are in the dressing room and Steven Tyler walks in and uh, we would met him before we loved him he was a great guy and uh, he walked in and said uh, you guys are from Kentucky right I said yeah and he said, uh, you know a lot about moonshine? <laughs> he said, well, we, I guess, yeah, what, what, do you, what do you need to know? And uh, he said, well, we'd like you to get us some <laughs> for the band. And uh, well, we said, well, we'll work on that. Yeah, we, we, we could, you know, we got connections. <laughs> We'll work on that. So we left them for that weekend and uh, came home and and uh, found them by two gallon jars of moonshine. I remember it had peaches floating in it. Fair <laughs> moonshine. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. <clears throat> so we met them somewhere else that next weekend and uh, somebody went and got it we were in the, had the moonshine at the dressing room somebody went and got it he came in we gave, gave him and his <coughs> oh excuse me you're fine him and his assistant or whatever two jars right gallon jars so we did the gigs we did the shows that weekend same scenario, came back the next weekend, and he comes walking in the dressing room, right? He says, Dad, what was in that? What was in that machine you gave us? He said, well, it was just pretty much just grain alcohol, you know, with some peaches for flavoring, you know. It about killed us. <laughs> said, well, how much did you drink? And he said, we drank all of it. <laughs> they, they drank two gallons. I don't, I don't know if they did it over the course of one night or, or whatever. But, but it was funny. We all just laughed, and he laughed. It, it was great. You know, it was great. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, you know we always sort of looked at ourselves after that as the, as the band that almost killed Aerosmith. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was he was really cool about it. it. It always you know when you when you meet somebody that that you look up to, somebody that's famous, and you get to meet them and they're they actually turn out to be a cool person. It's there's something about that that you know that really sticks with you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you still have the same excitement? Um, you know, like when I kiss you all over. This is 45 years. Um, you know, with yeah. only three, which is. Uh, amazing that you know you have a song with that longevity and people still love and sing and remember uh, do you still get excited um, when you hear it or have you performed it so much that you'd rather not hear it at times no you know I, I think we as we've aged uh, we we've come to realize how much that song meant to our careers and still does. And it's, and especially when we play it in front of a crowd. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, we, we've kind of learned to put, to try and put ourselves in their shoes and they're hearing this song and they probably never, a lot of them have probably never heard us play it before, you know, and the ones that have, that song is one of the main reasons they've come back to see us. They're our fans, you know. Right. And we try to put our, try to put ourselves in their shoes, and it helps us to it, it it just helps us to see to see kind of what they're feeling, and it makes us it makes us get a lot more out of it when we perform it. We, we, we've learned to appreciate what it's been, you know. I mean, we can play three seconds of that song, and that audience is just right on it, you know. Mm, yeah. It's good to have a good to have a record like that in their pocket. Sure. Well, then proud. you... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just said we're, we're very proud of it. Yeah, and because, you know, as you were saying, like, just immediately of hearing a few seconds of it, people are ready to sing all the words, and, you know, I can just see the energy is probably really strong at your concerts when that comes on. Do people share, like, um, personal experience stories that, you know, that around that song, like, what it's meant to them, it was their girlfriend song or boyfriend oh, song. Sure. Yeah, many, many people. Yeah. Many people. We, we get that. We get that all the time. Hmm. Uh, even some stories that I can't tell. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we do. We, we, we get that a whole lot. And it feels good. You know, it feels great. Well, you make the transition to country music, uh, and it seems like um, that you've found, you know, a new, um, I guess, experience with your music. Uh, you've stayed with that for 
many years now. So what was it like transitioning? Over the country? Yes. Well, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it was a whole lot different than, you know, the crowds we played to at pop or you know, the way we went about our business uh, as far as our music goes uh, we didn't really change what we were doing a whole lot you know, the, the types of songs that we were writing and recording and, and uh, but I think that we found out pretty quick uh that the uh, country audiences seem to have have a bit more loyalty than pop audiences hmm. did. Um, no, I mean, we st- we still got people coming to our shows that saw us forty years ago. Some of them we've even gotten to know. They've they've been they've, they've come to so many shows. You know, the pop music. I don't know if you get that so much. Hmm. Right. Well, let's talk about the new single, um, Rough Around the Edges. Uh, did you write that song? Yeah, I uh, wrote it with uh, my bandmate, Les Taylor, and our friend, Larry Cordell. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Larry or not, but... I've heard the name. Yeah, he's a great songwriter, and he's also a great artist in his own right. Uh, uh, he had several hits on his own. He wrote he wrote the song Murder on Music Row. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. Great yeah. song. Yeah. Uh, Highway Forty Blues. He wrote that. Yeah. He's a he's a long time friend. We actually wrote that song in, in, at Larry's house uh, about twenty five years ago. Yeah. So it's not a new song. Um, and we were looking Toward the end of the album, the recording process process of the album, we felt like we needed one more really uh, up tempo song. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife uh, said, well, "Why don't you cut rough around the edges?" I said, "That's that's too old. <laughs> Maybe we should write something, you know." She said, "Well, but it's a great song, you know." And, I thought about it for a second. I said, well, you know, you're right. So uh, I felt like it would be a great one for uh, for Les to sing. You know, it's one of the last songs we cut on the project. And so you have 16 tracks on this um, album. That's, um, you know, that's a pretty ambitious project. So how long did it take to put this together? Uh, the recording process took about 14 months, you know, to do to do from track one through track 16, um, and we spent quite a bit of time prepping before that, writing, you know, new material and and just getting started. And, and uh, as we, you know, we would record three songs at a time and. And then we would go back in and start writing again and come up with two more new ones and find 
one and out of the archives that we thought we might bring back, you know, and by the time we did that, it would be two months later, and we were ready to go in and record the next three. So hmm. that was kind of the, you know, the, the way we the way we did the whole thing. So have you found that, like, being together for so long with the same people, like, does that make it easier to uh, make decisions about what songs you're going to put on the album? Uh, ask, ask me that once more. Ask. Yeah, so I, I can imagine it's hard to get five people or how many people ever to agree, um, you know, on the songs that you're going to end up choosing when you can only choose 16. Um, so being together, like all the years, do you, do you kind of have a vision that's similar or do you still have like, no, I don't know if we should do this one. And, you know, some people thinking, yeah. Yeah. I, I see where you're coming from. We, um, our visions are similar. I mean, we, we know we're all aware of what kind of band we are, what works for us, and what absolutely does not work for us, you know. But um, when it comes to choosing songs, um, in some cases, you know, it's not unanimous. When, when a song is presented to the band, it, it could be, you know, there might be one guy that says, well, I, and everybody tries to be so polite. Oh, <laughs> 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 you know? Well, I, no, I just, I, I don't know if it's, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. each other, but, um, when when it uh, when when we do have a you know kind of a stalemate like that, then then we'll go to our democratic process. Hmm. You know we're, we're we're an odd number, so we vote, and the vote is never a tie. So yeah, you know we we've, we've done it we've done it that way before too, and it seems to work okay. And you know who whoever was voted down, I mean it's not like they have a screaming. Tantrum. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, we're all grown men, you know. We yeah. We just take it in pride. It's no big deal, you know. Yeah. Have We've you... always had disagreements, but they they're never loud and they never last very long. Yeah. So, have you ever? Cool. So you guys have written a lot of songs together and separately and stuff. Have you ever heard a song that you've written previously, like maybe way back, and just don't remember it? And like you know, you hear it, and you're like, "Well, who wrote that?" <laughs> I, I, I've never heard one audio-wise that I don't remember. Right. But I've I've seen song titles. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Songs that I no longer have access to. Mm hmm You know, like either on an old tape or that I've lost, or some record somewhere or something that I can't find. Yeah, I've seen a lot of titles that I don't remember. I don't remember how they went. Yeah, I see. Yeah. So you're playing the Opry tonight? I heard. Yeah, we're. Um, yeah, we're going on tonight. Uh, 
tonight is uh, Trace Atkins. Uh, they're celebrating his 30th anniversary as an Opry member tonight. Wow, that's awesome. And Trace is a good friend, and he's going to come out and do Kiss You All Over with us tonight. Oh, cool. Oh. Yeah, we've, we've done over the years, we've done it probably a dozen times. We have, we have a lot of fun with it. Do you know Do you know how many times you played the Opry? Something like 115 or something like that. Wow. Is it, yeah. st is it still as exciting as the first time you did? Oh, yeah. I'm always nervous when we walk out there. Yeah. It's a big deal. You know, it's a big deal. It's, it's, it's you know, one of those yeah. famous, famous music venues on earth, you know. And you, you're always, uh, always on your toes when you do the Opry. Lots of history there for sure. We're doing three songs tonight. We're doing uh, Woke Up in Love, which is one of our uh, country hits. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're doing the new single, Rough Around the Edges, and we'll do uh, Kiss You All Over with Trace. Cool. Three songs and a, three songs and a cloud of dust. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kat, we'll uh, give you a chance to ask one more question before we let JP go. So as you look back over the 60 years, um, you know, what are your thoughts on, on on the career and the growth that you've seen and how it's, you know, how it's turned out from beginning when you're mowing the yard and yeah. now you're going to be on the Opry tonight. So. Well, you know, my, my first thought is I, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy that ever lived you know it's, it's been it's been a wonderful career i mean i've, I've seen so much I've been so many places and you know we've had our share of success and you know i've, I've, I've met my wife who i've had a you know beautiful relationship with a beautiful family met her in the music business and and uh, there's just been so many good things about it. They've they're been bad, too. You know, there they're always are. Yeah. But uh, the good far, far outweighs the bad. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a great ride, and, uh, and we're, we're still going. We don't, we don't have any plans to retire or anything like that. I mean, yeah. here we are going to the office. As soon as we get through the Opry tonight, we're getting on the bus, going to Florida, doing a show tomorrow night, and then leaving there tomorrow night, and going to South Carolina, doing a show on Friday. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're loving what we're doing. You know, somebody, I think Willie Nelson said it best. He said, uh, somebody asked him, uh, when are you going to retire? He said, well, never, you know. <laughs> Why would you retire from doing something you love? Yeah. We've been very lucky. We really have. So we're still going strong. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like we'll be having you back, you know, on your 70th um, anniversary. So. Well, that's kind of what we're shooting for. When when 50 happened, we said we're our mantra is going for 60. <laughs> so I guess we're going to have to say going for 70 now. You know? <laughs> 
everybody's thinking five-year increments. I think that's what we did. <laughs> that's what, that's what we, we went to, from 50 to 55 to 60. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll go to 62, you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh, uh, we don't have any plans to stop anytime soon. We, we never even talk about it. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, JP, we want to thank you for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Um, wish you all the best, and hope you'll come back soon and talk to us. You guys just just say the word and, and uh, get in touch with uh, our gal that that uh, you know that, yep. that puts us all together. And I'd love to talk with you anytime you feel the need. You need to know anything at all. You can, you can count on me. I'll be there. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you so much. Have a safe trip to uh, Nashville, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to cat at iwriteplays at outlook.com, or you can write to me at backstorysessions at gmail.com, or matt at level11ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.